how we grow is much like a tree planted. So that's really the title today. That's where we're going to focus. And before I dive into that, I just want to ask, you know, we, 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 who, who doesn't want to grow? When we're talking about growth and when Eric introduced the series last week, I trust you already thought through and have considered. We're always thinking about growing. It's actually something that we're always considering in some form. Am I, am I learning more? Am I getting more skilled? Am I making more money? Am I having more friends? Am I, am I growing my family? Am I being a better dad? Am I being a better husband? Et cetera, et cetera. There's all things that we're always thinking about. How are we producing? How are we growing? Um, but we live in a world that thinks very much of growth in terms of constant upward trend. And we think that way too. It's part of the air we breathe. And so I kind of want to really help us by looking at what the scripture says and not just what it says, but the way it says it about how we grow. Because guys, God intends that we grow, but the way he intends that we grow goes against our expectations. It is very counterintuitive. It does not automatically follow. It is utterly different. So, like a tree planted, so I gave you guys, I hope everybody got one, got a little acorn when you came in, right? So you have a little memento. Now you can keep this. This obviously is not a tree, but it will be. It could be. An acorn becomes a tree. And guys, we all know this. It's silly. I was like, why did I even get these? Well, so you can have them in your hand and think about it. <laughs> so... It is an acorn. I know that. But it could be a tree, an oak tree over much time, right? We know in our minds, yeah, this could become a tree, planted, properly context, cared for, et cetera, et cetera, over a lot of time. But we don't give that much thought. We really don't. So let's slow down, walk through what Scripture says. There is a strong case, guys, a strong case for trees as the central analogy of scripture. So that's quite a statement. So let me help you understand why I'm saying that. Trees frame the overarching redemptive narrative of scripture. That's the overall storyline. Start right at the beginning of Genesis chapter two. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and he put a man whom he had formed out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So right there from the beginning, you guys know the story, Adam and Eve, they were put there to, to work and to keep it. So there's already this element of God really like, he's using this imagery, right? But of course, they chose their own way. It was not God's will be done. Eve and Adam, respectively, no, my will be done. I will take of this knowledge of good and evil. And so we go through scripture, before I come to the Revelation one, of course, when Jesus came, Jesus is the second Adam. And you remember before he went to the cross, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is a grove of ancient olive trees. So again, we have a man in a garden facing temptation. Same thing. When the apostles later in the book of Acts talk about the cross, do you know that the word that they use is not cross? It's tree. That's intentional. 
They actually, in the Greek, they use the Greek word for tree. There's a different word for cross. They use the word tree. And then, of course, Revelation. This is literally the very last chapter of the Bible. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street, either side of the, of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding uh, its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. So trees frame the overarching redemptive narrative of Scripture. But more than that, they also represent how we grow throughout Scripture. And I'm only going to give you a few examples. There are tons of them. Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Sorry, too fast. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And then one more, because I can't stand it. This is going to be a riot of scripture, okay? A riot. So, um, Jeremiah 17. In contrast to the man who doesn't trust the Lord, who is like a shrub in the desert, it says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So you, no doubt, may think of other references. I only had two. There's tons of them. Actually, I would just encourage you, as you're reading through Scripture on your own, maybe grab a green highlighter and just start highlighting. Tree, branch, root, stem, planting. You, can, you trip over it. It's almost every page. It's just amazing. So I just really want to encourage you guys. Did you know that God reveals Himself to us through both Scripture and nature? I almost didn't include this, but I feel like, no, we need to, this is the time. This is the time. It's very appropriate because it's so profound in Scripture. Revelation occurs to us both in Scripture and nature. I'm not trying to put nature on the, on the level of the Bible, but God made it. This quote I found from Martin Luther, Our Lord has written the promise of resurrection not in books alone, but in every leaf in springtime. Remember last week Eric was encouraging us coming out of winter into spring. We get to do this every year, guys. There's something about that that the Lord has for us to receive when we pay attention to His works around us in nature and in His Word. So I want us to receive that. So as we think about the way we grow, can we learn from this foundational imagery that is in His Word and is in creation? I think yes. So let's think about it. First step, planting seed. Now I'm going to hang out on this one a little bit more. There's a bunch of other steps. And for the nature biologists among us, please don't critique me too closely because it's not the accurate life cycle of a plant. I do know that, but I'm going to give you guys a quicker message. So, right? Um, John chapter 12. Let's read this closely. This is such a good passage. And I know I'm parachuting into it, but truly, Jesus speaking, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Planting seed, full of potential, right? I lost my acorn, where'd it go? Full of potential, it's not an oak tree yet. But we put it into the ground, we push it down, and we bury it. Water it. Cultivate it. Provide the nutrients. Goes down in the dirt. Again, it's counterintuitive. And there is a picture, guys, there. What the Lord said in His own... Sorry, I jumped ahead. Um, Sensitive. It remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Like there is a going down of planting seed. It is very counterintuitive. Hardship is the soil for progress. That is not solely the case, but I would ask you to consider in your own life and in your own observations, is that not frequently the case? And as we read in scripture, when Jesus talks about following him as he does here, is that not frequently the case? And we see, too, from the passages you read in Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17, it's the Lord who plants, but he also calls us to do our part. He calls us to follow. He calls us to willingly lay our lives down as well. There is something about this that I want us to really think carefully about. This imagery is God's design for us. Do we believe that the acorn is actually an oak in waiting? And by analogy, do we believe that our own hearts and lives are represented here? Do we, do, we, do we realize that that's our own lives? This is an image, guys, of us. It's not what we're, we're to be yet. It's not what God has designed, but we will. There's that faith step. Remember, Eric was calling us to faith. Do we believe? Do we believe that this is actually an oak in waiting? Do we believe that we are not yet all he has made us to be and is making us to be? Are we willing to embrace the death of Christ, the death to self, the planting, in order to grow in all that God intends for us to be? And can we forsake worldly expectations that growth is always positive and looks like all the, you know, basically constant improvement It doesn't work like that. Often. I was talking to Caleb. Caleb's preaching up in Frederick this morning. We were working together and and sharing our uh, thoughts on these verses. And he just caught it so well. He just said, with this verse, it's like this. Jesus' death for our salvation becomes his design for our imitation. I thought that was so, it just rolled off well. And that so well summarizes this passage. So that's one aspect that we can learn as we think about how we grow, planting seed. What else? Sprouting. Sprouting. Well, the planting is, of course, an image of death. Literally, it's a burial. Well, as the sprout comes up, it's an image of new life. It's resurrection, in effect. And that is exactly what Scripture intends. It's a new creation, right? As anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. When we, when we identify with him in his death, we also identify with him in his life. And we are raised up in newness of life in Christ. That's sprouting. Also, just think in terms of, like, follow me with the process. So we, the seed is planted, sprouts. Then what happens? Well, it starts to put out leaves, right? Really little ones, 
really, really little ones that can really subject to lots of, I mean, it could easily be damaged, right? And so a seedling, a sapling, you have to protect it. I mean, people plant trees out here because the deer are horrendous. You gotta wrap, you know, fences around, all that kind of, I don't know. Like there's stuff you gotta do, <laughs> right? But we bloom, we sprout, actually even at the youngest uh, level, certain type of trees, they'll, they'll start putting flowers out right away. Well, they're, they're moving towards multiplication already. Even at the early stage, already there's this sense of, okay, how do we receive resources? The sunlight, the water, um, there's, there's just lots that we can think about and learn there. The next, um, think about the tree spreading out. So we're planting seed, we have sprouting. Um, do you have that control, Abby? Yeah, there we go, spreading. So it's really like you know, the roots are going out, the branches are spreading out, stems are coming up. Um, this is to think in terms of like maturity, stabilizing, strengthening. Guys, you remember when we talked in Colossians, we studied Colossians. And in chapter 2, it says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in Him. What? Rooted and built up in Him. We read last week from Ephesians 4 when Eric was, was, was teaching to us. Rooted and grounded in love. These are things that, that, again, the scripture is profound. And then finally, and I think this is the one we jump to the most often, the next one, is bearing fruit. When we talk about growth, everyone shoots right to bearing fruit. So let me just say this. Bearing fruit is super important and God cares about it. We're about to spend a lot of time in one particular passage, John 15, about that. But can I just say before we get there, I'm whizzing through this. And if you think about an acorn and the process of an acorn becoming an oak tree and actually generating more acorns, which is the fruit of the oak tree, we're talking years. And that is typical of our growth process. It's a vast period of time between planting and bearing. So it's just something to consider, that there's patience involved there, that the Lord's at work, right? So bearing fruit in Scripture, again, very, very quickly, and I won't read the passages for time's sake. Matthew 17, we know them by our fruit. That's what Jesus says. So fruit is an indication of who we are. You know what kind of tree it is? Because the kind of fruit it bears. An apple tree, peach tree, whatever that might be. Luke chapter 13, in keeping with repentance, what fruit you bear should be consistent with what you believe and what changes you have made in your life. Scripture is unapologetic about that. Unapologetic. And where the scripture is, we should be too. And we should challenge ourselves in that regard. When the scripture warns us as it does, and we'll see some of that, we should receive those warnings. And then Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit, right? Bearing fruit of the Spirit, all love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, wonderful. Okay, so planting seeds, sprouting, blooming, putting out leaves, and spreading and bearing fruit. There is so much we can learn as we look at the imagery of how we grow from Scripture and creation. And I would commend you to meditate more on that on, on your own. But let me press this tree analogy a little bit further because Scripture does. Did you know that many trees are not actually single stems? I was shocked to figure this out. I did not know this at all, and I was actually doing a little research on it. There, there are actually certain groves of trees. In fact, the largest known organism on the face of the planet is a grove, I have a picture of it in the next one, is a grove of aspen trees in Utah that's actually known as the pando. They are unified genetically. They are genetically identical. And that little outline is a picture from an aerial view of the entire grove. And there's a massive root system underlying it. If you go and sample the DNA of any one of those trees, they're exactly the same. 
super old, and there's a lot of debate for how old it is, at least 11,000 years, but it's very hard to um, uh, measure that all. And the reason I bring this up is because, you know, I'm using the example of planted like a tree, and yes, but the scripture actually goes further. And this is really important for us because it better represents this kind of image, how essential it is that when we grow, it's not planted individually. It's together. And that is by design. And it's more than that, it's actually in Christ. So on the next one, Abby, we've got John chapter 15. Let's look at what he says here. And again, work with me here. Tree, vine, branches. This is a similar concept, right? But Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And skipping to verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. All right, that was a lot of scripture, but I really wanted us to hone in on this one. When we're considering the way we grow, what does it look like to grow? We've looked at what we can gain from the imagery in nature and in scripture. But I want to hone in on this part in particular and help us to really grasp this. So we grow and we bear fruit only to the extent that we are joined with him. You can't read John 15 and not come away with that. There is any other way to grow apart from abiding in him. That is really, really clear from that scripture, isn't it? It's really clear. And it's joined with him again in his death, like seeds planted. Joined with him in his new life, like sprouts coming up. We grow and bear fruit only as we are joined to him. Secondly, we grow and bear fruit only as we love one another. Think about it. We look through the passage, chapter 15, verse 9 and 10 and 12. Here's why I say this. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. There's the join to him, right? Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Well, great. That helps me understand what it looks like to abide in his love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And now verse 12, what is one of those commandments? That you love one another. So do you see the flow? It's not hard to discern. And last week, Eric also pointed out 
It's, it's part of what makes us the body. It's the body of Christ. We are part of one another. There's a loving of one another that must take place in order to grow and bear fruit. So Eric, it was very provoking when he said, do you believe in the church? You remember that? Not the institution, the organization, the body of Christ, the people that he has shed his blood for. That is central to growing and bearing fruit. We have to see that. There is no separating of that. There is no way, and it's very easy, especially in this day and age in our American Western culture, to determine growth and set the context ourselves. And that's where that imagery of a single tree really breaks down. It is, it is truly a, unif a unified, it's a grove, it's a vine. There's, there's a togetherness that is inescapable. We must be together in order to build one another up from Ephesians 4 in love. And then finally, the point from John 15 here, the vine dresser himself prunes us to grow and be even more fruitful. So much like the death of a seed in planting, there are painful aspects in pruning. Again, it's counterintuitive, but it's actually necessary to help a tree or plant flourish and to bear more fruit. And that's exactly what the scripture says. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. All fine and good when it's imagery. When it starts affecting my actual life, that's when I'm raising my hand and saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I really, really like that branch. Why are you taking that job away? Why can't I breathe easily? Why am I tempted right now to anxiety? Why can I not see the future clearly? You fill in the blank, guys. What is it that the Lord's doing? And sometimes, many times, we can't explain it. Many times we don't understand. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? And there's a pain involved too. Why did that friend go away? We don't always have answers to that, but I just want to encourage us. When the scripture says these things, he prunes us to bear more fruit. We don't have to understand that for it to work. Right? There's a faith element there. Very much a faith element. And I, I really want to encourage us here. The vine dresser himself does this for us. God is not um, some, you know, we started with Genesis and the overarching scripture. It's not like God wound the world up and said, yeah, go ahead, whatever. He is intimately involved with us. He walked in the garden with Adam and Eve and asked them, where are you? Not because he didn't know where they were. He's coming alongside. Jesus condescended to be with us and to face the temptations that our ancestors did not face correctly. And he sat in that garden and cried his heart out and said, not my will, your will so that we could receive his new life and that we could grow. But then he also invites us. He's like, you want to follow me? This is what it's going to look like. A laying of your life down, a pruning at times. But he's with us in it. 
He's with us in all of it. He is actively, personally, lovingly, constantly cultivating us to grow like Him. Trust God in the process of growth. He is in it all. That is a faith step, family. I know it's a faith step. It's a willingness to set aside our insistence to understand all of our circumstances, to understand our context perfectly, which we often don't. And there's a humility in that. There's a trust in that. But family, He is trustworthy. He is our Father. Amen? Um, Abby, I'm going to skip these other verses because we don't have time for them. I would love to read them. Guys, go read Ezekiel. The whole book of Ezekiel is loaded with trees. It's amazing. Um, I'm just going to close on this. He is... Our sovereign God is actively superintending all of this. I guess really just by way of closing, when we think about all the imagery that we talked about, planting the seed and, and sprouting and then flourishing and spreading and then ultimately bearing fruit and then the pruning too. Over all of that, context matters where we are. Time matters, as I alluded to. You have to be patient over that. But most importantly, our sovereign God, the master creator and cultivator, the master gardener, he matters and he has us in his control. He is working for our good, church family. So when we think about growth, we can't not think about it apart from God. That sounds so obvious. But I just want to encourage us, let's think that way, because that is not the way our culture and our world naturally thinks. Everything is not with God in the center. And we must think with God in the center as we grow.